Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, this is Tommy Yanoulis, one of the founders of Ops Analytica. I was recently talking with a, a friend of mine who's a restaurant consultant about what we do uh, with restaurant checklists and inspections. And he was like, man, these restaurant managers, they don't get it. They think that they can just put these checklists out on paper and that people are going to magically do them. And they're not getting done. If you don't inspect what you expect every single day, then it's not getting done. And you're crazy if you think it is. And that's exactly the problem that the Ops Analytica Inspector solves. We give you the ability to see what's happening in your restaurants in real time and the ability to follow up and hold your managers accountable. Check us out on the web at opsanalytica.com or just search Restaurant Checklist app. Hey, welcome to the Order Up show. This is Tommy Yernoulis. I'm going to be your host today. And we are very lucky to have on a phone for an interview, uh, George Tinsley II, uh, or, or as the people at the company call him, G2, because he is the second. And uh, welcome, George. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tommy. Oh. oh, welcome. I'm excited to talk to you today. So uh, this is going to be a first because George... Uh, he's in the restaurant industry, but his restaurants are primarily focused in airports. So hopefully we're going to get a lot of, of cool airport stuff that we can chat about today that maybe we haven't yeah. heard on the podcast before. And uh, George, just so you know, uh, uh, we always ask the same five questions to everybody. And uh, so you will get the same five as everyone else. And I'm just going to kick it off and ask that first question to you, which is, Explain what you do today and then take us through your career progression from your first job in the industry to sort of how you got to where you are. Okay. Well, let me uh, let me start out by saying uh, thank you, Tommy, for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to speak and to give uh, whatever stories, influence, inspiration I can possibly give. Uh, but the you know the best way for me to explain I guess what I do is take a take you through a progression of where we're going because uh, our organization has hit <clears throat> excuse me a place in where uh, our business format has begun to adjust to a new model and uh, and it's so it's, it's a little bit fluid right now so it, it would be uh, probably unfair or, or be uh, it sound a little bit uh, I guess unfocused if I try to tell you exactly what I do now there's some days where I don't know. <laughs> uh, but in any case, uh, you know, I, I, so I'm going to start with, with kind of like how how I got through uh, to where career to where we are now, and I think that might make it make a little bit more sense to you if that's okay with you. Sounds great, man. All right, so uh, I started out uh, with me and me and my sister uh, are you know my my family has me, me and my mother, um, my father, and my sister, and my sister's two years older than me. We uh, my father worked with uh, the colonel himself. Uh, mm-hmm. Colonel Sanders. He, uh, you know, he played professional basketball in Kentucky, and and because of that, the reason I bring that in is he was he worked a little bit on the corporate side with the colonel. He was trained by the colonel himself, and and the colonel uh, had a unique franchising uh, model in which he would do uh, do franchising based off of just being able to to read somebody and and understand that they were a good strong business person, and you know you might even do a franchise agreement on a on the back of a napkin. So uh, in any case, my father got his first franchise in Central Florida, and it's right around the time I think I was about uh, four or five years old, and and me and my sister uh, were just you know being that they didn't have a lot of daycare, and there weren't a whole lot of uh, child labor laws back then. <laughs> we grew up uh, we grew up in a business uh, where you know some kids went went home to to daycare to to go go home play and whatnot. We were we were kind of taken to well, my sister had extra extracurricular activities. 
all the time. I was in the back of the store, and, and that was kind of how I grew up, developed some of my social skills. Just some of the older guys, high school guys would be cooking and those types of things. And they put me up on a crate and let me bread chicken with them. Uh, it's KFC, of course. They let me bread chicken or my brick chicken or make coleslaw or these types of things. And, and as a, you know, as progressively went on, I finally got a chance to be paid for what I did. And, uh, and we, uh, that's kind of just how I started getting, getting into the industry. Um, after, I guess, going into college, uh, I started to work at the Atlanta airport. That's kind of when I first got my foray into the airport business, uh, where I was working with a company that was uh, somebody that my father grew up uh, in the KFC business world with. It was gotten into the airports. And I got uh, a chance to work at running TCB-wise, managing uh, what was supposed to be just one as an hourly supervisor. It just so happened that my first week or my first day of my first week, uh, and this seemed to be the way my first two manager positions went, the manager got fired, and then it failed to me to uh, to kind of try to juggle this and, and also go to school at the same time and while they were trying to find other management. That was a unique time, so running through the Atlanta airport, we had three locations there, uh, and just trying to trying to just really uh, learn the job as well as optimize the business with uh, some of the things that trying to blend that in from what I was learning in class, trying to build some innovation into the business and see if we can grab sales because the airport, we'll talk about a little bit later if, if we have time, is a very exciting and, and unique environment yeah. uh, that you can really do some great things with. So, um, so after that, I went over to Starbucks working with a partner company uh, who we still work with today, uh, HMS Host, and they gave me the opportunity to run uh, one of their one of their Starbucks uh, locations, and we got a contract in Miami. Uh, shortly after that, uh, due to another another DBE partner uh, that, if, you, if you're interested in the DBE program, I won't go go into it now, but you can ask me about it later because it is a unique uh, format for the uh, for the airline uh, for the air, for the airport industry. In any case, um, got into managing. Uh, we got the opportunity to go down to Miami. So we got the contract in Miami Airport because they needed a, a DBE, which is basically a minority uh, partner, and had a chance to go down there and started in the warehouse. We had at that time, I want to say, 42 uh, stores that, that 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 the business was a part of, and and we were uh, we we were a minority owner in the business, and I was the was the multi-unit manager for the contract. We had to we had to supply the multi-unit manager, which was me. And I started out in the comics area and worked my way through the whole branch, working with all the brands. So started out doing purchasing in the comics area and the warehouse and, and then doing the uh, doing the receiving and, and never never really got uh, deep into the production aspect of it. But uh, but uh, just that gave me a good framework for, you know, cost controls and, and, and understanding logistics and supply chain uh, side of the business and then moved into the actual operations uh, running. Multiple different brands, uh, Pizza Hut, uh, some some generic uh, adult beverage, as a dining uh, locations, uh, Burger King, uh, Quiznos, Starbucks. Obviously, I've had experience with so it's a whole host of different brands. Nathan's, and I can just go on and on with different brands. Um, and we were able to um, to form some real good partnerships uh, along with you know the partnerships that we already have with the Young Family brands, KFC and and some of those, and, and developed develop real good friendships with, uh, you know, with Shula's, so Shula Burger, 
Shula Barn Grill that we uh, have in the airport and got a great relationship with the Shula brand and that their family and they're just real good people. Being in Miami didn't didn't hurt either. So uh, I was able to go to a couple of games with with the Don and uh, <laughs> in any case. So yes, yeah, so those were some exciting things. But just kind of got through this where now, like I said, we've got we got new contracts in Tampa. We just recently won a uh, 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 renewed. I should say so we renewed. Uh, the contracts in Tampa as well as in Louisville where we currently were. Uh, and now we're actually in the middle of, of building those out. And like I said, I'm in Tampa right now for two grand openings uh, for a Wendy's uh, location that we opened up in one contract and a pay, and a, I'm sorry, payway, uh, a grand opening that we just opened as well. So in any case, we've, you know, we're kind of uh, just uh, managing through that. And, and what's real interesting to me about, uh, some of the ops analytica and I guess when you initially contacted me is that, you know, building in processes as a company is real important and that's kind of where, you know, it's kind of where I'm where I'm mad as our organization grows and it's real quick. You know, it just happened real quick. And I think I listened to one of the podcasts where you spoke to an individual that said they work with Chipotle and talking about the cultural change and for that, for us, uh, we've always been very focused on development and and my position has always been in just uh, moving forward the the oper- moving forward the operations, trying to find innovative ways to be able to make uh, make make money outside of our four walls. And obviously, we have lease space, lease lines, lease spaces, and we try to optimize the uh, our revenue uh, our revenue uh, proposition outside of that lease outside of that lease line within the you know within the framework of what the airport allows to do. So. Uh, what I do at this point right now is a blend of all these different types of things. I've, I've, but mainly, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on project management uh, and financial, the financial aspect side of our business, and being able to build that up as we project out uh, for our future growth. Uh, and then taking a real good look right now at that organizational structure to make sure that we're operating as efficient, efficiently and effectively as possible. So that we can, you know, hit all of our key stakeholders and add value to those individuals uh, as we move through the business. So, okay, so I have a ton of questions. The first one is: yeah. Your dad played basketball for the Kentucky Colonels. Is that correct? For the, for the Kentucky Colonels, the Washington Capitals, the New Jersey Nets. Was it? Uh, the, I, I don't know if it was the New Jersey Nets back then. It's ABA, uh, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the red, white, the red, and white ball. Um, yeah, he played for the Kentucky Colonel. That's where he hangs his hat uh, for the most part. Well, that because was the business card that I had. I mean, I'm sorry. That was the uh, that was the basketball card that I had with my dad, which I took to school to show off and lost it. Uh, oh. But anyway, <laughs> but we've got more. We got more. <laughs> because- and the only reason I know that is because I like Will Ferrell and I like Semi Pro, and that was all about uh-huh. the ABA. And so, like, I that's how I re- knew the name, the Kentucky Colonels. Though I I do believe I might have remembered that because I grew up in the '70s, so it seems like that would be something I would have if, caught on if to. If you uh, if you get a chance, uh, if you ever get a chance, or if you ever get a chance to meet my father, you know, he'll tell you those. Uh, there's a lot of truth. To that, as long as much as much comedy was that that was in there, and I've talked to some other ABA guys, there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> Just like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, cool. So that's the first one. Second one, interestingly, just and and uh, from we don't generally talk too much about Ops Analytica in the podcast, but thank you for bringing it up. Hey, you should check it out at OpsAnalytica.com. But anyway, uh, 
We've been talking to quite a few airport, uh, the guys that are in your exact position that are managing a lot of different restaurants. And I think the reason for that is, and is because airports, as I've tried, I used to travel a lot in our, on our uh, previous company. I was always on the road going to, um, you know, visit uh, clients and, um, is because there's been a big push, especially at DIA here in Denver, but I think it's across the country, to get more unique local restaurants in the airports and get away from having that sort of generic, uh, you still get your fast food brands and not to say that they're generic, but they're trying to have like, I mean, I know in Denver, we've got a ton of the really popular restaurants that are here in Denver, local Denver restaurants also have restaurants at the airport. And would you agree that they're kind of breaking up the monopoly at the airports and giving them to smaller guys that come in, smaller companies that come in and do 10 or 20 versus having one or two guys doing all 150 restaurants or something like that? No, you're, you're right on. I mean, you hit, you know, you hit the nail uh, right on the head. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely changed uh, where it was, whether that's good or bad. Uh, remains to be seen. I can definitely speak to both sides. I could say that opening up the airport as an economic center of, of or an opportunity for people to to, to further their uh, their entrepreneurial uh, businesses business initiatives is a great thing. I think that having a display of local uh, local brands that are unique to that uh, to that that uh, city or county or state or whatever is is, is very important. But there's also this other aspect of driving profit, right? Driving driving yeah. revenue for both the airport, because the airport gets paid up based off of percentage of, of sales and, and these types of things. And and then the operator has to, you know, obviously operate and be able to make money and be profitable in an environment where your rents are a little bit high. And sure. I know a lot of people ask how that how that works and, you know, a lot of uh a lot of people think that they just have a, you know, you. They ask like, "What's your, what's your, uh, what's your rent per square foot?" And when you hesitate to give that answer, they usually <laughs> think maybe you don't know what you're talking about. But really, it's you. You operate based off of a, of a, for the most, for the most part. I think some people get a little bit more creative nowadays as they move through the, uh, as, they, as the industry grows. But you, know, you give, you offer when you make your bid, you offer a, a dollar amount. It's called the minimum annual guarantee. And you say, okay, I'll guarantee paying you this much money. Now, if your space is 100 square feet, then you divide that space by the amount of money. Um, but if it's a thousand square feet, it's still the same amount of money that you that you are, you know, that you're guaranteeing to the airport. So, uh, so when you look at it from from that perspective, uh, that that helps you understand the you know the need for uh, for having to either want a a brand that people are already familiar with and used to because nine times out of ten. And I'm curious because I want to ask you, although I know you're interviewing me, but I want to ask you your perspective, and I'd love to ask other people their perspective, but sure. I see it every day. If you've got Chili's, right? So uh, we've got a Chili's, uh, let's say, in, in Louisville Airport on one air side, and on the other air side, there's a uh, there's Stars of Louisville. Now, uh, now those, these brands are changing, by the way. This is a contract that uh, just got turned over in March. Uh, but we, but prior to March, we we had the, the joint venture, the whole deal. So you've got the Chili's that would do uh, roughly about three times more sales than the Stars of Louisville. Why is that? Because people are just familiar with Chili's and know they're going to get and push come to Chili's and somebody that wants something new uh, when they're, when they're, you know, when they're faced with an option of, okay, I got to make sure that, you know, my, my significant other, my kids, everybody has a good dining experience. And they're typically 
more prone to go to the brand that they're most familiar with. So it's, it's unique. It's interesting. But you, but you, but to you, and it's a point. You're right. It is. It is changing. And I do think that I do think that it's it's good. Uh, but sometimes, as, as long as you're not saturating the airport, just to, to put in just more and more and more of restaurants, which happens sometimes, uh, then if you're doing it from an economically uh, sensible way, uh, meaning the airport putting out their contracts in a, in a way that that and make sure that everybody is taken care of and that the that the business uh, concession there is 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 is, is uh, profitable and is successful then you're good so so and you had mentioned in enough. the beginning that you were morphing your business a little bit right now do you want to touch on that real quick or actually that way that told that thought because that probably feeds into the next question which is okay. but real quick why don't you speak quickly to the dbe that you had mentioned uh, earlier, just so because I'm not familiar with it, and may, and I think our yeah. listeners would like to hear about it too. Yeah, no, and I think this would be great because it's a big industry here, and, uh, and it generates a lot of uh, a lot of interest, a lot of revenue, and but it's real hard to get in. So the 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 program that I'm talking about is one modeled by the uh, by the FAA, and it is uh, with publicly publicly funded entities. Uh, so it exists even outside of the airport environment. But DBE or ACDBE, which is uh, what what our program is, the Airport Concession Disadvantaged Business Enterprise. So, uh, and some there's some uh, places they call it M M slash W B E, so minority or women uh, uh, business enterprises. But basically, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 minority uh, socioeconomic minority. Uh, entities uh, are individuals that uh, gives them an opportunity and it mandates a space in any contract. And the, the general percentage is anywhere from 30 to 35 percent. Uh, but usually, that, you know, usually that entity, whether it be the airport or college, university, or whatever, um, they will be able to, I guess, hit their own percentage mark or whatever that is. Usually, it's, like I said, it's around 30 percent, and that's that gives that opportunity for the Whoever, what we call in the airport industry the prime concessionaire. So, for example, with us, HMS Host is a prime concessionaire. They will win the contract. We, along with them, will invest in the business, staff the business, the whole, the whole. You know, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the way that the the program is designed to work. And you can you can participate as a as a DBE as a subtenant. Meaning mm-hmm. that you just they give you your space uh, that that represents your percentage of ownership in the business based off whatever projected sales you think you're gonna have, and you just run that outright on your own, or you can be a JV, which is where you uh, you're involved with the entire uh, the entire business as a whole, and you staff uh, you staff and manage that that same percentage of the business. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a nice program. Okay, let's go on to question number two. What is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Uh, right now, uh, probably um, just organizational restructuring, uh, but from a strategic standpoint, uh, trying to make sure that we have uh, just the, the aces in the places, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that we're uh, operating as efficiently as possible just because we're, we're, a, we're a small organization with regards to the ownership team, me, my mother, my father that are actively involved. And, you know, we've got, but we've also got a good solid team of, of leaders uh, that, that support uh, the operations. And as we're 
growing and, and having these, these challenges, trying to get people in the right places so that sort of we're communicating up and down throughout the organization uh, effectively. And a part of that then rolls into this, the other part of the, uh, the big initiative that I'm working on is, is systems implementation. Because of our, that format that's changed where we were primarily most of our business, with the exception of the uh, TJFIs that we had, as well as the um, as well as our KFC on the street, where it was mostly joint venture uh, related, uh, where we operated as a joint venture partner. So now we're subtenant uh, in a lot of our uh, in a lot of our contracts now. So so that's a new challenge, and it makes uh, it makes us have to be a little bit more uh, focused on being able to to communicate up and down and that throughout the organization outside of the brand standards and these policies that you have. I mean, that's that's a great resource to be able to operationally uh, get through your days uh, on the ground. But, you know, feeding information up to the corporation is something that, uh, that now we have to think a little bit more strategic about and train all of our teams uh, down from the top down with regards to how that is from a systematic standpoint with one format. Since we're used to being able to operate in different formats, and now we're throwing on a whole other one that uh, that has a lot more, I guess, uh, exposure uh, to uh, to it uh, in the subterranean environment. So, so they, that, that's, that's, that's one of the things we're kind of working on now, uh, and it's really a matter of putting it all together and making sure that we have that ongoing accountability tied into that, and that's where the big, uh, the big issue with any restaurant, any operator, you know, the whole thing is ongoing accountability. How do you make sure that after you told somebody to do things this way, that they're continuously doing it that way? Yep. And uh, yeah, so. Well, and one thing too that I don't know that a lot of people have thought it all the way through around the airport concessions specifically. Like you might have ten or fifteen or twenty restaurants at the airport, but you might have. You have 20 restaurants, you might have 20 separate brands, but yet you have one talent pool that you're using. So, you you know, for uh, economies of scale, you would like to be able to have one HR, one accounting, uh, maybe a series of general managers, and then that, that can go from brand to brand to brand. And so you need to have those systems in place because the opening checklist for a Quiznos is different than the opening checklist for a Chili's or an Aunt Annie's or whatever it might be, or a Payway. And so you need that ability to like, I mean, you basically have 20 separate individual restaurants with all their different stuff going on, but then one sort of centralized management team. So that can present a lot of challenges, right? Especially with people calling out and getting sick and vacations and babies and, you know, you're just constantly scrambling, I have a feeling. Yeah, you have no idea. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly where you find yourself. Uh, when I was running uh, the Miami airport, uh, when I was, you know, kind of coming up, uh, uh, learning my learning my, learning my stripes, as well, uh, that was the, one of the big aspects. So you come up with a generic format, uh, if you will, or you try to. So this was one strategy. Uh, was come up with a generic format that could address you know, the business in general so that you know here's adult beverage standards, if you will. So this is what you need to do with regards to server check audits and, and how to count your liquor and how to pour and how to do these things to make sure you got all your controls in place. Then you can do standardized across the board no matter what brand it is. Sure. And then, you know, same thing with QSR. So you try to get those generic standards down, train those through the team so you have to react. But ideally you want to have, you know, you want to have that, 
you want to have that dedicated team that's there because that's what's going to make you always be successful. And it's, but it's hard to do, like you said, when you've got those economies of scale. If you've got this restaurant here, especially if you're in a food court, like, okay, i got this restaurant here. I've got this restaurant right there. Why can't one manager? I can just look across and see. So why not just have one manager run both? Yeah. But in order to make sure that, that the quality of the product is coming out the right way, you're going to get much more value by going ahead and investing in and having uh, a management team that's focused on just one objective, doing that one right, and then having, you know, a a general manager that can, uh, that's cross-trained and can be able to react to both. The the only other option is cross-training your team, uh, which just takes time because, as you well know, the training training time for a lot of brands is just so long and it's so hard to get people out of the business that long to train. Well, and also too, like, I mean, you get better and more consistent over time. So like if I'm a, if I'm a, for instance, I used to work at Quiznos, so I'm very familiar with the Quiznos product. Okay. If I'm on the yep. make table at Quiznos, you know, and I mean, there's a lot like, cause they're not like Subway where, you know, you're basically just remembering a protein. You're basically just have to remember a protein and maybe one core ingredient. And then the person tells you everything else. Quiznos is a recipe sandwich similar to like a firehouse or something else like that, where you have to, you know, there might be 10 or 15 different, well, not that many, but like five to 10 different ingredients that have to go onto this sandwich to make it the turkey, bacon, avocado, ranch sandwich, right? So you to take that guy and put him on the Burger King line where he's got to know he has recipe sandwiches as well, right? It, 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 that would, I could see that being tough. The nice thing though, I guess with the airport is generally, Airports a like is a enclosed area, and if you're a busy airports, which it sounds like you are, Miami, Tampa, Louisville is probably the least busy of the three, I would assume. But uh, but you know, you get a guarantee. You know, you're really just pulling from a percentage. Like you know, there's going to be X amount of sales in that airport, and and every vendor is getting their little share of those sales. So there's generally a higher volume restaurants, especially during higher volume travel season. So maybe does that, does, do the economics there allow to have a manager at each store? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it doesn't always. So there, there's times where you've got a, a location that you've got a contract that like say, for example, Miami, I mean, you might want a contract uh, that has places. I mean, it has, but it has restaurants and you want know, to take Tampa. So you've got airside a, uh, we say airside C, which is the southwest airside, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, that's the busiest airside of the airport. And then you've got maybe an airside E or sure. airside F that's, that's a lot slower. So you might have a restaurant in airside F that is only going to be doing, uh, and although this sounds high, uh, yeah. you might have uh, a restaurant that's doing only a million dollars, which in the airport world, it's just it's, that's just slow uh, yeah. for the most part. That's just a slow <laughs> day. And um, I mean, it's not a slow day, but that's a million dollars would be a very busy day, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but a slow year. So um, it, it makes it difficult to be able to say, okay, I'm going to dedicate a manager just just there the the entire time. So you have to get creative, uh, sure. and you have to uh, you have to be intentional. But uh, that that's all based off once again training and and, and staffing and cross training and those types of things. But yeah, but you I mean you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, and and matter of fact, Quiznos Quiznos when it came in. I don't know where else they were doing Quiznos in the airport or if they had, but I know when we had it come in in Miami, it was just a nightmare because the the bottle the bottleneck that would exist mm-hmm. when you had a long line and then people are you know it's only what ten feet 
you know, to the other side of the of the impender oven. To yep. you know, so now that line just shifts to the other side, and people they just you know they're they're in there. The perception is it's taking a long time. Had a lot of complaints. Had to figure out how to reduce the menu. I mean, it was a lot of challenges. Uh, and matter of fact, we tried to remodel it. We did one in Airside C and had the same challenges. So you have to build in other options. You had to build in other other uh, unique uh, ways to 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 move that product through. But it's but that's where the fun comes in in the uh, in the airport. I was being able to meet those challenges because there's always a way. You just have to be innovative. Think think uh, think innovatively enough to do that. Yeah, I know they had some in DIA, and I've seen some smattered around the country. DIAs were corporate-owned Quiznos, and they were big. They were larger. They were just one of those things where it's like a restaurant hooked into a bar. You said the restaurant's on one side and the bar's on the other, and they share the dining area, like the yep, tables. Right. So. Cool. Uh, question number three. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Uh you know, probably, probably like legislation uh, or impending legislation that is focused on making your business harder to run, whether it be uh, the minimum wage uh, discussion, which isn't as isn't as impactful in the airport. We tend to pay a little bit higher in the airport environment, but uh, but like some certain of those things, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, uh, just a number of different things that I guess sure. the, the new uh, the new forty seven forty seven thousand uh, dollar uh, uh, versus that versus the fifty hour work week uh, with with salary management uh, that that just came out and I'm not even speaking to the actual uh, the effects of the of the, of the legislation as a, as, a, as it hits the economic uh, state. Mm-hmm. But more so to just the fact that as an operator, as a business, and more so for a small business, yeah. that to have to learn all these things, react to all these things, is just it takes so much away from from what you're doing. And I get that, I get that it's it's comes from a place that's you know that's pure and it's probably trying to move the company, move the country forward, and and get the economy uh, in the right place and be able to to provide a better paying jobs for people. And I'm, I'm all for that. I truly am. But by the same token, there is that, there's the after effect. And then there's the effect to just the operator as a whole, the penalizations that you can incur if you don't do it right. So there's that level of anxiety that comes in. And those, those types of things are the ones in which what keeps me up at night, if you will, uh, would be the fact that I, you wonder how much, thought is going into this legislation as a whole and, and the impact that it's going to have versus uh, versus is it just something that someone's doing to get reelected or something of that nature. Uh, so that, that's, that's where, that's where it is. It's, it's, uh, that's where it's, it gives me a little bit of anxiety. Uh, not so much the actual effect, uh, although that, that is definitely there, but that is just the market. You're going to react to it. Things are going to change. We always react to it. It always changes. Yep. But the fact that uh, if we don't if we don't have a system that uh, that works towards doing it the right way and, and the most thoughtful way to everybody involved, then it's just you know then it just it continues to exist and it continues to be a headache. Well, and just to tag on to that, like 
You know, like, first of all, the government sucks at, like, getting this data disseminated out to people, right? A lot of right. times they pass this stuff. They don't even know how they're going to enforce it or what they're going to choose to enforce, which is a BS thing right then and there. You, if you, if they write it down as a law, they have to, should have to enforce all of it, but they don't generally do that, right? And if right. you screw up, even if you were, like, even if you were doing things right, if you screw up, it can have huge ramifications from the irs perspective not only from fines but just like you said it's the time suck like like you don't have a person who like every employee that works at your company is busy if you ask them they would all tell you that they work 50 60 hours a week and they don't have time to get the 50 things so no one's just sitting around like you can't afford to have somebody sitting around just reading through government regulations trying to figure stuff out right and yeah we ran into a situation where you know, at, at a couple companies ago, way back in the day, where like the IRS changed a rule and, uh, you know, we were always paying the proper amount in taxes. We didn't we didn't cheat anybody. We were paying it right, but we weren't paying it on the right schedule. And then we had it. Then we spent like six or eight months screwing around with these guys. And But the thing that was like the thing that was the most, it was like 200 hours of someone's time sitting on hold and dealing with the IRS guy that then would tell you to call this guy. And then you wait another hour on hold like that. There's that's like a, a time and focus suck that takes you away from right. running your business. You know what I mean? Like you can't be solving problems because you have to listen to the stupid IRS hold music and you're sitting there just getting angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Going, Why can't I get any work done? <laughs> And then, and then you have to deal with your third-party agencies that you work with. Yeah. They have, you had to go through the webinars, read the text, and, and yeah, yeah, and it becomes then tracking it, the ongoing tracking of it. Yeah, so it's that's that, that's that's a big one. And 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 then the other, the only other thing is uh, financing uh, and, and capital. Cap, you know, getting access to capital is always going to be a challenge in any business uh, yeah. at all. But what people don't understand about the restaurant business is excuse me, that you've got to, you know, you've got to have some, some very good solid capital to be able to to get to a place to where your business really becomes cash flow positive and profitable for you to be ongoing. And in and, and this day and age, you also need to have, you need to build that scale uh, to yep. be able to mitigate any of the downtimes, some of these, uh, some of the seasonality that exists, that exists sometimes. So uh, access to, to, to financing, especially in the airport environment, because you don't have any, it's not brick and mortar, you don't have yeah. assets really outside of your, you know, FF&E, uh, and a lot of that doesn't really have any any value uh, once it's used, so it's, um, it's it becomes a challenge uh, to be able to do that, and the airport's not going to guarantee your loan, the, you know, your, your partner's not going to guarantee your loan, so a lot of times you're, you're faced with looking at uh, Looking at private investors and, and, and these types of things, so or partnering up with somebody who has the, the, the financial resources available to them. Uh, but I do think that banks uh, banks can figure out how to make that work. And I've matter of fact, I've got a meeting with a bank uh, uh, here probably sometime today. Once they once they show up, uh, we're trying to get financing through. It's just it's once again just one of those things that. That the industry is is growing and it's there, and but to fill out these contracts, it to back to let's we can skip back to where you were talking about the the local uh, the local uh, uh, I guess business owners in the community that can come and participate now in these contracts. That's all well and good, but they've got to realize 
and it's it's tough for them to realize. And I, if I was on the outside, I wouldn't realize it. Uh, but when you're when you're coming into the airport environment, there's so many things that you have, so much money you have to spend, so much there's so much stuff you have to put up front, and you know to where you're you're in a hole, you'd be in a whole million dollars before you even get open, uh, and then you've got these high rents to pay, and you've got payroll still meet. So it takes a lot of money to be able to make these things work. Uh, so how are you going to do that? Uh, you know, like I said, in a, in a in a smart way. The only way to do that is to once again think through all these uh, initiatives and be able to try to if you're going to do something for the community, to think to think it all the way through. And you, in order to do that, you have to be able to speak with the individuals who are affected the most and who have lived through it, so that you can you know troubleshoot those issues. Uh, but that usually typically doesn't happen. So hmm. those are uh, those are those are the two major things for me. Sure. And I'm going to tag one more thing and then I'll get off my soapbox. But when people and never hear this in political debates or whatever about how regulations uh, affect businesses, that's exactly how it affects businesses. When somebody has to spend a couple hundred hours figuring something out, that's a cost that, you know, you weren't expecting to pay that you then had to pay where the person wasn't productive doing their job. They were just reacting to government regulations. And then if you have to actually physically make changes in your business based off those regulations, those costs also get incurred just because right. I don't know that people, a lot, it doesn't seem like a lot of people put two and two together sometimes. Like, you know, they, they yeah. vote one way and they don't understand how those votes affect their like actual companies and whatnot and whatever. And so I'm off my soapbox now. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. We, we could, <laughs> we could spend the whole uh, day on that one. I'm with you. Well, yeah, especially because the airport, too, like other thing that people don't realize. And I only know this because I did some work at DIA uh, with their IT department in a previous life. But, uh, you know, do you have to pay for everyone to get badged in in their security screenings? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so well, the, the security screenings, all this kind of lumped in. But yeah, we do have to pay uh, for badge. Yeah. So that what does that cost? That's that curiosity. Uh, the initial badge is $75. Well, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you one, one contract. Sure. Uh, initial badge is $75. Replacement is 25 uh, And if uh, anybody hears this uh, from, from that airport and I'm wrong, uh, forgive me, but I'm pretty sure that's, uh, that's what it is. Uh, but it, it differs uh, each, each location. But, and keep in mind, by the way, uh, to, to throw this in from a payroll cost, right, you bring somebody in, uh, this is one challenge in the industry that, that people don't know, but I feel like it's interesting. You can take anywhere from uh, Louisville Airport, probably the, the best. I mean, it's the easiest. It is, I mean, it's awesome. You know, you get you can get a badge back sometimes in less than a week, mm-hmm. uh, but typically a week. Now they're all going to the same. They're all going through the same process. I'm not sure why it differs, but uh, it's kind of like the DMV to a degree. Uh, you know, in Miami, uh, there's been times, or Atlanta even, uh, there's been times. Uh, where it's taken three to four weeks, and you know, and that's that's just the nature of the business. I don't think you know it's not that there's anything wrong with. It. I'm just saying from an operator status, it's something you have to build into your projections and forecasting. Is that okay? If I'm staffed, staff, I'm need to get staffed up, or if I'm short staff, you know, you have to. It's take, it might take you four weeks before you get the person badged and they can get into the store, and then they have to start training. So. You're talking about lead times of having a certain employee sometimes that could, that could be two months. 
Well, and then and also how many restaurant people can hang out for two months without a paycheck? So you get hired exactly. on Monday the 1st, they're not gonna get into the 31st of the month. And this guy's got bills and rent and you know, whatever thing else. I mean, that's why the business is so transient because it is one of those businesses where a server can generally yeah. be on the floor within three to four days. If they can start on Tuesday, they can be making their own money by Saturday in most restaurants. So, you know what I mean? Like, so you could lose a lot of those guys. You've already paid 75 bucks for the badge and they may right. never even end up getting it. Yeah. That badge yeah. is pretty sweet though. Uh, I had yeah. that badge at DIA and being able to cut the line was pretty nice. <laughs> if you fly a lot, if you fly a lot, it is, uh, it's, it's worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Absolutely. And so what I'm saying is get a job at an airport restaurant, get your badge, and then you got like free clear pass <laughs> for the year. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? You know, I, that one, that one, I, that, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I did think that when I first started seeing the automated, uh, I guess automated uh, point of sale systems where you could just come in and hit the buttons and then food get prepared. I, I, I remember when I first saw that, I was thinking, wow, this is going to be the new the new age, uh, but it didn't seem to take off. Uh, at least not in American society, it didn't seem to take off. Uh, so uh, that one surprised me. But but it but technology still did. Uh, I know the back of the house technology has, has gone leaps and bounds, which that one I didn't see. Uh, as well as uh, it's interesting that the uh, that the uh, these app services uh, were having the delivery. To to you, to you or being able to order ahead, uh, those are those are phenomenal uh, components that I think. But to say that something that the industry will be doing that isn't, uh, and, and I'd say in the airport industry, and this goes out to any of any brand leaders that are that are involved. There's there's certainly brands that do it. I mean, to do it, to do a great great phenomenal job. So I'm not going to say any names for anybody on the bus, but there are some brands that in the airport environment. Uh, they, I guess they don't understand it fully. Don't necessarily sure. try to understand it. Uh, it's hard to, it's hard to take some brands off the street and put them in the airport and make them make sense uh, yeah. because the, you know, the complexity of the back of the house operation can be uh, can just be a, a, a bottle a bottle a bottleneck. The uh, the communication to the guest and the I guess the time time frame that it takes to execute that order and get it out. Uh, meeting those standards and understanding that you know the the travelers and what they want depending on the different regions and uh, you know like grab and go uh, if you will like if you sort of travel a lot grab and go it's something you probably don't even think about as a traveler but that's sometimes a challenge to to be able to develop with a brand to have that grab and go cooler where you can grab a pre-made salad a pre-made sandwich and a drink because you're just you know you're just rushing to the plane like this morning I had had I was getting on on a flight. And didn't have enough time to get breakfast. I sit down and get anything hot, so I ran by, grabbed my go case, grabbed got a, got a salad and a yogurt, and and, uh, and then was off to uh, to my plane. And you know because it's just quicker that way, uh, and that's revenue that's left on the table if you don't adjust and get to that. So that's probably the one thing in in the airport industry because you're approached by brands constantly, constantly, constantly. Uh, to say, hey, you know, we want to get in the airport, we want to get in the airport. But then when you get to the conversation of, okay, well, can you change this? Can you, you know, maybe switch that? Can you, you know, uh, 
just make these transitions to adapt to the environment that you're in, you get a whole lot of pushback. And some of it I, I totally get. I mean, if that's your brand, that's what you do, that goes against what your brand is, then fine, I get it. Uh, you know, you won't hear a whole lot of uh, back and forth from me, but if it's, if it's something that can just optimize the brand and be able to build revenue, uh, those, these are things that I think uh got to think more strategically about and inform yourself of in the industry if you're going to operate there. And I know we had a breakfast menu at Quiznos because of our airport stores, because you have right. to offer a breakfast option. So they had to invent some breakfast sandwiches that we then tried to put into the normal stores. Not very successfully, I don't think. Subway's managed to do breakfast in their normal stores, uh, you know, outside of uh, just the airports as well. So. Yeah, you know, and that's a plug. You know, if if you're coming into the airport environment, not only think breakfast, but think good breakfast. You know, that, <laughs> if you if you come in and you say, okay, we'll just do uh, the biscuit and this and the biscuit and that, and yeah. then that's it then trust me, you're not going to, you know, I mean, you'll get some sales, but people are going to, there's, there's companies out here that are really, really optimizing their menus, really making things work and continuously working on on getting these things done. And it's, uh, you know, it just, it, it takes that, that input from the operator to let you know, hey, this is what, this is what's moving. So. Well, yeah, and also being able to have a decent cup of coffee. Because I mean, I I would be really curious, and if you can't say this, I'd be fine. How much was Starbucks doing in that airport? Because I mean, a normal Starbucks is doing insanity numbers, but in an airport, oh my God, I've seen the line 30, 40 deep. Yeah, I'll say this. Uh, I'll say <laughs> this. Um, I can't, obviously, I can't give uh, yeah. uh, information, but I, uh, well, specific information, but you could see, I mean, I've, I've seen, depending on, how about this? Let me give you a good uh, good story. The not a story, but just a, a perspective on it. American Airlines came to us. Can't remember how many years back. Probably about four or five years ago. And in the airport uh, environment, you normally have to put out. You know, if you're going to put a new a new uh, business in or whatnot, if you're going to give a new put in a restaurant, and you have to you have to bid it out. So it has to be fair. There's obviously special uh, considerations uh, in certain certain airports. And uh, one of these was, uh, you know, American Airlines. And keep in mind, the airlines kind of drive the direction. So the airlines are the, you know, they're, they're the biggest uh, tenant uh, for the airport. So they they were having issues with people. So when the North Terminal got fully developed, anybody's familiar with uh, with Miami? From the North Terminal D1 to D60, it's probably about a mile, maybe more. Uh, it's a long walk. And and it, and it splits, you know. Uh, so people were going who had signed a D60. The star Starbucks is a D10, mm-hmm. so they were get, they were going to D10 to get their Starbucks, and then trying to make it back to D60, and they were missing <laughs> their flights. Oh, American wow. Airlines was having issues. Yeah, they were having so many issues with people missing flights. They said, okay, we need you to put another Starbucks closer to the D60, so that uh, so that we don't have to keep you know rebooking people for the flights. So. Uh, Anyway, but uh, that's that's the draw, that's the demand. But yeah, I've seen you know, you've seen over thirty five million dollars at a Starbucks, which is unheard of. I mean, it's crazy. Wow. And I used I used to run one at the uh, the Atlanta airport, uh, and I remember that during one period we had some. Would, every once in a while, you'd have some staffing issues. Uh, you know, Atlanta's a, a unique place, but um, you you'd have every once in a while my my whole staff would call out. I just not show up, and uh, and. People want their coffee, and they don't care. 
you know, it's one one young kid here. I'm 20, 22, 23 years so old, trying to get a line out the door, down the hall, and I am doing my best to give these people their drinks. And I'm I'm thinking, if you want something fast, just get coffee. I know you probably normally get your double latte. Yeah. You know, it's like just get some coffee, make my job easier, make your job easier. The people with, oh, let me get the cappuccino, venti cappuccino, and uh, you know, latte this. Like, okay, well, I got to stop and make this, and then I got to ring this person up, and there'd be a line, and they would not, they would not, uh, they would not too forgiving and not too uh, understanding of a, of a young kid trying to, trying to get their, uh, their drinks out as fast as they could. So that was always uh, funny. But this is what I would have done, because I probably would have freaked out, but I would have just been like, the espresso machine's broken. <laughs> just... <laughs> You I know, can't. You I can't steam anything. I'm sorry. It's all busted. I'd break it myself. I'd smash it. Throw the beans everywhere. <laughs> I listened to the interview of the guy that said he had the. They sent everybody to Ponderosa. He said he turned the, uh, turned the lights off. Yeah, right. Tom Moxie. So, yeah. <laughs> so I remember. I remember closing down, and we we were pre closing. We didn't have any flights. We had to stay open until like let's say call it nine o'clock. I can't remember the exact hour, but it was say eight thirty. We started pre closing. Eight forty five. We're almost done. You know, everything's still operational, but we got pretty much everything clean. We know there's not going to be any more business. And about 8.50, a flight of kids comes in. One thing you knew at Starbucks and kids is Frappuccinos. Yeah. That's just – and we had, and you had to make all the Frappuccino mix for the next day. So once if you use all that up, you have to pre, you know, if you remake all that stuff. So anyway, they, uh, I remember wanting to – so this is why I differ with Moxie because I, I wanted to shut that down so bad. But I was like, you know what? I But we get audited, and I'm, yep. I'm, I'm a real stickler on brand standards. Yeah. And one thing I, I'm saying, I'll always do it the brand way. I won't cut any corners. I won't. I'll take the complaint because I took too long because I was, you know, continuing with brand standards. But I won't take the complaint. And I tell this to my employees, too. I won't take the complaint that you broke brand standards and gave poor quality product. Uh, you know, I, I won't take that, uh, but I'll, I'll I'll work with you if it's just hey, you know what the chicken say for example KFCL the chicken uh, wasn't you know wasn't done right it didn't cook all with you know something and you, I had to throw it away and make some more so people were complaining like okay well at least you at least you kept to the standard but definitely yeah. don't give away you know uh, out of date chicken out of date product so anyway that's what we did because I had to go ahead and and my team they wanted to cuss me out <laughs> so no gotta <laughs> we gotta do it. So. Yep. Oh no, I know. It's like it's 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 Murphy's law. If you go clean the flat top early, you're gonna get a steak. Yeah, you're gonna get an order for the flat top. Like, just don't do it. Just you're open to be open, and then just do the little stuff, and then leave the big things towards the end. Like, if you clean the deli slicer, someone's gonna want deli meat. It's just every time. So yeah, yeah. It's usually communicate. Say, hey, you know what? Yeah, it's usually communicate to the customer. But but like, oh, keep in mind too, we. And I'll give uh, you know in Mox's defense, we the reason uh, we could the reason why I didn't want to do it. Another reason why is because if there's someone complained to the airport, then you know that could infringe upon uh, us being able to be rewarded at the next contract, those types of things. Sure. We never want that bad press either. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Especially now, yeah, absolutely. That totally makes sense. Cool, man. So, fifth question: uh, recount the funniest or a funny or horrible like event, like story, just something cool, funny story, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a million of them. I mean, you know, uh, different celebrities and, and uh, then having uh, uh, having 
I guess, uh, different things going on. Probably one of the ones that was uh, funniest to me, uh, I, was, I guess I should say most impactful, funny or worse, probably worse, probably falls more into the worst category, <laughs> although I, I try to keep a good sense of humor, so uh, I laugh about it now. But we had uh, the, the perfect storm happen. We had to open up uh, on this busiest concourse, uh, excuse me, in, in Miami once again. Uh, it was a Jose Cuervo tequila Rio. And something uh, that was a big, it was a big brand actually uh, for a while uh, in, in the airport environment. Uh, it was doing a real good job. Uh, it's since kind of uh, tapered off. But um, we we had a, I think it was, it was five, it was, and it's still there. It's 50, probably about 5,400 square feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so large, large, large space, uh, state of the art, uh, big bar, the whole deal. Uh, we had a kitchen. That was not probably the best designed. I mean, we had one flat top, one make table, uh, two make tables, but logistically was, I mean, a complete nightmare, complete nightmare. Uh, it didn't flow at all. And uh, we went through the training, the whole deal, and we so we opened up on August, uh, August 6th is when we opened, uh, 2005. And I remember... We were, we were operating off a check system, so uh, for anybody who, you know, back of the house, no screens or any, anything of that nature, no bump boards. It's just it's just uh, just checks. So we had to do two checks, and double checks. So the expediter, who was me uh, sure. in this scenario, I had to I'd have to read off the check to the to the different uh, you know to the grill to the to the fry station to everybody because we just didn't have the system wasn't connected to be able to get everybody a check. So I had to put the check where, you know, centrally located and I have to carry the other one to make sure that the order was moving. And British Airways decided to go on strike That's at that same time. British Airways was one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest uh, carriers out of that, that, that those gates where this, uh, this, this restaurant was. So this was a, Six million dollar a year restaurant, just on average. So we're talking about a, you know, you're talking about uh, some high volume anyway. Um, and around this time, because everything else was shut down, we were we were projecting more around you know seven eight million dollars a year. So on a daily basis, as you can imagine, most of that, to keep in mind, is on a lunch uh, is on the lunch dinner side. They part. Uh, they they issued out. Uh, when they started flying again, because they had to shut down flights when they started flying again, and it was over the next probably two weeks, they started issuing out vouchers, and they were giving out $100 vouchers. And the way the vouchers work in the airport is, when you get a voucher, you can spend all $100 of that, but you don't get any change back. So as an operator, oh, we've always trained this, you know, hey, if someone comes in with a $20 voucher, try to get them to spend all that $20 so that then, you know, can get that, yeah. get that much from the airline, and I hope I'm not uh, giving the game away. So, uh, but in any case, um, they gave a hundred dollar vouchers, which is unheard of. I've never seen those, hadn't seen those up to that time. haven't seen them since. And everybody in our service were out there trying to get them to maximize that $100. So the kitchen was, when I say I had a handful of checks, like both hands, both hands full, like full stacks. And the, the paper was, uh, the paper was, was flowing over the uh, flowing over the over the counter, and I'm probably twenty probably twenty six point seven at this time. And my my dad, who's you know, is real competitive. He you know loves to be involved, but it's not just hands on anymore. My mom, she's there as well. They, you know, they're all part of the business. 
but they're not helping. But you know, <laughs> take pictures. You take pictures, and I'm kind. Of, you know, and it's it. I'm sweating. It's hot. People are complaining. Service. Where's my food? Where's my food? And they just, and the checks just keep coming to where, you know. I said I was like, shut down the front. Like stop. Take stop bringing people in. Shut it down. Shut it down. Because we can't. I was like, we're not going to be able to do this. And uh, and probably about two weeks later, and that's this was probably about three months in. Open to close seven days a week uh, uh-huh. for me at this volume. Eating no no breaks. You know, eating yeah. standing up. Uh, I remember I told I had I was glad my mom showed up that time. I said, hey, can you go to the store and give me some shoes? I said, These shoes are killing me. And you know she went and bought some shoes, brought them in, threw them on the ground. Uh, I said, take your other shoes. I'm still back there. We're still making food. You know, so yeah. change them. I changed my shoes out. We're talking that type of environment. People just yeah. quitting left and right, can't keep anybody. And the people are coming in like, I don't want any parts of this. <laughs> so, uh, and I remember the day my heart skipped a beat. Uh, it just it didn't it just didn't beat, and it was the weirdest thing. I, and I said, okay. It was the first time. Uh, the, I guess the 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 the, uh, the learning I got out of that. It was the first time that I realized, okay, George. You're you're trying to make you know you're you're focusing too much on trying to get each check out. You're working in the kitchen. What you need to do is step out. You know you're 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 above you know your management level is above this. You need to step out. Take some time to make get the right people in here and get staffed up appropriately. Or else this is never going anywhere. And clearly you might have a heart attack. So uh, that was just one of the big learnings. So uh, that's my story uh, that I share. Although there's many many more, but that's uh, that's one of the most interesting. Oh, and it just, it sort of talks to two things. One, which I had never dawned on me until you were telling that story. You guys don't get the soft open in the airport. You you put the light on and you could be slammed out first day. Yeah. Right? 100%. Uh, we do, we, we, we try to control soft openings. And this, this is real funny because we just did one in, uh, in Louisville. Uh, we tried to do a soft open with a KFC, invite people in for, you know, for 30 minute gaps. And we, we schedule it sometimes. Uh, adult beverage is a lot easier because you usually have a, a closed in dining room. You can kind of close the doors, if you will. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, but uh, this is a food court and we had it and we had taped it off basically with some stanchions and, and people. I mean, these airport employees were coming in by the droves and you didn't want to turn it by the way. You wanted to stress <laughs> test the kitchen and these types of things. But yeah, I mean, the moment you open, uh, you know, Moment you open, no matter how many soft openings you do, you can only really do about two or three. I mean, you spent so much money by then, you, yeah. you know, you're looking to make some money. So, um, yeah, it gets to the point where when you finally open those doors, it is, uh, it's, you know, it's uh, you're not in Kansas anymore. Time to yeah. time to get it, time to get it moving. So, that's uh, that is a unique thing. Ah, cool. So, George, uh, do you have anything that you want to plug uh, about your company or charity or anything like that? No, you know, I would say from a from a company standpoint, you know, just uh, if uh, if you're ever in the Louisville, Tampa, Miami airport, uh, we're affiliated with HMS Host and and Tinsley Bridgman uh, is our is our is another uh, company. Tinsley Family Concessions is our core core company. Uh, that yes, yeah, please please stop by and see us. Uh, we are we operate chilies and the KFC, Comfy Cow, and and the Bourbon Loft. Uh, Bourbon County Tasting Room, which will be called, which is, which is a very unique uh, uh, concept that I have to I have to uh, share with you uh, uh, probably later on through email. And um, and Miami, I'm not going to try to go through all the other locations. Miami, Tampa, uh, please, uh, if you 
if you're if you're ever in those uh you know we operate the Wendy's Payway and the DF chain uh, please stop by any of those locations the Payway is phenomenal uh it's located in the main terminal and pay and the Payway is located on Concourse A we're doing the grand opening today grand opening ceremony for it today and it's just been doing gangbusters and it's unique in which it's got a full bar a sushi bar and the whole whole nine yards so it's uh, definitely real interesting so outside of that from a charity standpoint uh I don't have anything uh, off the top of my head but uh, but if I think of it thing, I know that you uh, you post up uh, on your on the podcast. I'll, I'll shoot any links out uh, with you. But I appreciate it more than anything, just your time and, and allowing me to be able to speak. Uh, big podcast fan and definitely a big fan of of, uh, of of what you all are doing. Oh well, thank you so much, George, and thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll be back with more great interviews coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Thanks, George. All right, thank you.